Romans chapter 2. You guys want to go ahead and take your seats? Uh, they gave me an announcement to say about there's a van door open, but I forget the color, style, and make. So if you drove a van, your door may be open. What is it? Gray Chrysler. Side door. Gray Chrysler, side door open. Gray Chrysler, side door open. All right, let's pray, and then we'll go ahead and get started here. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. We just pray, as always, you would teach, we would listen. Just make these words just jump off the page at us to really grow in our walks and relationships with you, that we come out of this service today knowing you deeper, stronger, with a more loving relationship with you. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. In your name, amen. Continuing our study here through the book of Romans. Now, this is one of those messages where I like to say we want to work backwards. The goal is verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men but from God. That's Romans 2.29. That's the goal. The goal is to have your heart and your spirit in line with the Lord, that your heart is in line with Christ, and then verse 29, that you're walking in the Holy Spirit. That's the goal. That's what we're shooting for today, to learn how to get to that point, to learn how the Lord asks us to do that. So we're going to have a lot of questions today, a lot of probing questions of how's your heart? You know, because a lot of times we have this exterior where we look good, we sound good, but what's the heart like? And the Bible makes it abundantly clear that only the Lord knows the heart. He's the only one that can judge the heart. Jeremiah says, I alone know the heart. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, search me and try me, know my heart, see if there's any iniquity in me. Because there's a lot of times we have this surface relationship where the Lord is really saying, what's it like in the heart? I mean, at work, we sound good. At home, we look good. We come here to church. We serve. We do this. We do that. But is the heart really where it's supposed to be with Christ? So that's the goal, is looking at where the heart's at. Now, how do we get to verse 29? You're going to run into a lot of words this morning, and every translation says it a little different. My translation uses the word practice, that we practice such things. That means to continually do them. Some of your translations may say keep on or persistence or continuance. It's this idea that you're progressing, you're moving forward, and you're walking in relationship with the Lord. A lot of times I see people claim Christ, and I believe they've had an experience with the Lord, but what happens is they just kind of stagnate. They become stale. And it's not that they're doing anything really awfully wrong, but at the same time, they've reached this just mediocre, treading water relationship with the Lord, and their life has lost all that passion, all that excitement. And like, what, what's really the point of all this? You have to get to the heart and say, am I continuing on? Am I pressing on? Am I keeping on? And am I moving where the Lord wants me to move? So let's just jump right into this. Verse 1, chapter 2, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whether you who are a judge for whatever way you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we do know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, really what the Lord is saying here is there's that word practice again. Verse 1, practice the same things. Verse 2, practice such things. Verse 3, who judge those practicing such things. Once again, showing a progress of moving forward. Not just staying where we're at, but moving forward in the Lord. And the Lord is basically saying here in verse 1, you are now inexcusable. Why are you inexcusable? Because you're here today and you're hearing this. 
Now there's accountability to those actions. There's accountability to say, am I living according to what God has asked me to do? Now, here's the thing about the Lord. He makes it perfectly clear from the beginning what the standards are. Look at that word in verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Truth. This is where we get truth from. You've heard me say many times out here before, there's three truths mentioned in the Bible. Jesus Christ is truth. God's word is truth. The Holy Spirit is truth. In this world where there is not much truth, this is the only standard of truth that we have. We live in a world where you can go to one state and do something and it's illegal, but you go to the other state and it's now illegal. You go to one country and it's okay, you go to another country and it's not. There's not a standard of what's right or acceptable. That's why it's so important to have the truth and the standard of God's word. This is what God's going to judge you on. Now, to make this perfectly clear, he doesn't hide it. He makes it clear from the beginning these are the standards. And he says, do you want to know what I'm going to judge you on? Verse 6 who will render to each one according to his deeds. And then jump ahead to verse 11. There's no partiality with God. He makes it very clear from the beginning. Here are the standards. Here's the truth that I'm going to judge you on. You're going to be judged according to your deeds, verse 6. Now, my deeds, I think, aren't that bad. And if you weren't with us last week, we spent a whole time talking about what the definition of sin is. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is missing God's righteous standard. And it doesn't matter if I miss his bullseye by an inch or by a mile. I still sinned. I missed it. So even though I think my deeds are good, by allowing any sin into my life, I'm a sinner. And so that's where it's important to know Jesus. So you have really one or two options. God says there's going to be a judgment. And the judgment's going to be according to my truth. And he says, now here you can go one or two ways. You can stand up before me, verse 6, and I will render to each one according to his deeds. I will judge you according to your actions, how you lived your life. And the standard is not more good than bad than your end. The standard is perfection. And guess what? Verse 11, there's no partiality. I'm not taking sides. I'll keep it all completely equal and even. So you can stand up on your own job, your own merits, or you can stop and say, I can't do this, and that's why I need Christ. Because Christ has taken care of all my sin. He has paid the debt that I can't owe. But he has set the standards of truth. Now, the question is, do you want to follow that standard of truth? Truth's not changing. Now, here's the tough part. Once again, we live in a world where sometimes truth, isn't this a funny statement? Truth changes. That doesn't even make sense. You ever played a game with somebody as the rules changed as you just played that game? It gets annoying. It gets frustrating. My boys are obsessed now with decks of cards. They just buy cards, and we, we have these decks, and we go to Walmart, and they take their Christmas money, and they buy the 75-cent deck of cards, and they just think it's the most exciting thing in the world, and they always want to play card games. But the problem is, as you play the card games with them, especially with my uh, third and my fourth, Layden, who's five, and Kenan, who is six, the rules are never set. Especially with Layden. Layden's new thing now, he loves to do magic tricks with cards. Five-year-old, so he comes up to you, and he says, pick a card. So you pick a card, and this is what he says. Now look at your card, and you look at your card, and he goes, now you close your eyes. So I close my eyes. He says, put the card back anywhere you want. I put the card back in. Every time he finds my card. Every single time he finds my card. Kenan, we'll play war. And all of a sudden, we're playing war. And halfway through the game, I play a card higher than Kenan's card. Rule change, lower card now wins. These are the standards. Now, if you play a game with Elias, my oldest, he will read the rules, he'll underline the rules, he'll highlight the rules, and he will follow those rules to a T. 
We live in a world sometimes where this definition of truth is difficult to find. That's why it's so vital to know in verse 2, there is a truth of judgment that will come. It will come. Verse 6, you will be rendered to each one according to your deeds. Verse 11, there is no partiality with God. There is none. The question is, are we ready for that? Because really, what are we building up here in Romans? We're building up to verse 23 of Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is Paul's great discourse to get us to this point to reveal to us that we're all sinners. Every single one of us. And then he's going to take us to the next point that we're all sinners in need of grace and mercy and faith. And that's where Jesus comes in. As you heard me say when we first started our lesson in Romans a couple weeks ago, the purpose of this book is to teach it all the way through at once. Because if we just stop today, you're all sinners. Well, where's the answer? Well, we don't get to the answer for three weeks yet because we're not going to get to Romans 4 for a while. That's why it's important to look at the whole context. He's building up to the point that we're all sinners, but then he's immediately going to tell us the answer is in Christ. But for right now, it's just a simple question. You're going to be judged. The question is, what standard do you want? Do you want on your own personal merits that you thought you've done good enough? You can get in, even though the standard's perfection. Now, you may sit here and say, I don't know, James, if I agree with you. This is not my statement. It goes back to verse 2. That's the truth. Or you can take the standard of Christ, who said, I will take the punishment for you. So now we have to decide which one we want. Verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in according with your hardness and your stubborn heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath and the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. Really what Paul is asking there in verse 4 and 5 is which route do you want to go? Verse 4, do you want the goodness of God, the kindness, some of your translations say, the patience of God that leads you to repentance? Verse 4, or do you want to be stubborn? Do you want to have a hard heart? Do you want to figure it out yourself? And then verse 5, store up for yourself wrath and judgment. It's a choice. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago, it's a free will choice. No one's going to force you. You have to decide. Kindness, goodness, patience that leads to repentance. Or, verse 5, wrath, stubbornness, treasuring up for yourself, adding up an account that you will never, ever be able to pay. Eventually, verse 6, that you're going to stand before God on your own. Boy, Paul continues this idea. Verse 7, do you want eternal life to those who by patience, continuance, and doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality? Or, verse 8, but do those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Now, verses 7 and verse 10 are the bookends. Verses 8 and 9 are what's in the middle. The bookends tell me this. I can have eternal life, verse 7, through patience, seeking glory and honor of God. I can have immortality through a relationship with Christ. And verse 10 backs it up. Glory and honor of God, seeking that. Did you catch this in verse 7? Who by patience, continuance in doing good. Some of your translations may say keeping on, persisting, etc. Here's the point, that there is a process of continually growing in your walk with the Lord. That you're not ever going to just sit here and just say, I'm done. The Bible uses this really fancy word, and it's called sanctification. Sanctification means to set apart. And the Bible says that when you get saved, you're sanctified, set apart 
for God. That's good. But then the Bible says that there is now a sanctification process where there is a process of you becoming more and more like Jesus every day of your life. Now, the question is, a lot of us in this sanctification process like to stop. We're good enough. No, the Lord says keep moving. Keep moving forward. Keep desiring more of Him in all that we do and all that we say. And as we desire more and more of Him, we're continuing in our process of seeking and growing the Lord. Now, that's what it's meaning here by continuing and doing good. But what what happens if you don't choose that? Well, verse 8, self-seeking. You don't obey the truth. You obey in righteousness. Indignation, wrath, tribulation, anguish. It's not a good thing. It's a choice you've got to make. I think the one that really hits me, though, in verse 8 is self-seeking. I realize most of the sin in my life comes from me just being self-seeking. I just want what I want. I don't like the way that person treated me, so my feelings get hurt, so now I'm seeking my own good, self-seeking. I have the right to be offended or bothered. Or there's that thing I really want to do. Yeah, I know it's sin. I know it's kind of selfish, but it's self-seeking. It fulfills me. It fulfills something in my heart. So now I feel better for a brief moment. And that self-seeking then never is really worth it. I don't know how many times I've had people come into my office and sit there and we're doing counseling about life and they make a comment like this. I've spent a lot of my life focusing on others. It's time for me to focus on myself. Self-seeking. That never turns out good. We're supposed to be seeking the interest of what the Lord has called in our lives, and that all that matters. When you're looking out for yourself, and I just just thought this, I remember years ago, it's probably about 15 years ago, someone told me, if I don't look out for myself, who's going to look out for me? I think God will take care of that. Self-seeking never gets us to where we need to be. It leads us to disobedience, verse 8, indignation, wrath, etc. We've got to choose. Which one do we want? Verse 7, eternal life by doing good through glory, honor, and mortality through Jesus? Or do we want self-seeking, disobedience, and righteousness, indignation? You get the point. Verse 11, there's no partiality with God. It's going to happen. Every one of us is going to have to make a decision. Now, at this point, we need to stop for a second. Because as Paul's writing this through the Spirit, he kind of changes subjects here in verse 12 a little bit. And the subject that changes is this. Well, how are we supposed to know this? I mean, is this really fair? I mean, you're here this morning, so you're now hearing this. But what about the people that don't hear this? What about the people that never get a chance to hear this message? What about people that never get a chance to really know this idea of heaven, hell, sin? Is that really unfair? Now, this is a long passage. Bear with me. Verses 12 through 16. For as many as sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and as many as sinned in the law will be judged by the law. Basically, verse 12 is saying this. So you know the truth, you don't know the truth, you're still going to be judged according to the truth. Why? Verse 13, for not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. It's not your actions that save you, but your actions show that you have been saved. Now that's a very important point. My good works do not save me, but the works that I do show that my heart has been changed in the Lord. That's the evidence of a changed life. So when I see somebody not doing the works that line up with the Bible... My first question is, has their heart ever been changed by the Lord? Because you can't be changed by Christ and still continue down that path. There's people that say they got saved, and they still act, talk the same exact way. They just may not do it in public. Well, what did you get saved from? There's a change that happens. 
So how are we supposed to know this? Verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, for their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves that their thoughts are accusing or else excusing them. Now you may be saying, I didn't follow any of that. That's okay. What he's basically saying in verses 14 and 15 is that in your heart, you still know what's right. You still know what's right. Imagine somebody who has never heard one ounce of Scripture, never heard anything about Jesus, and this idea of Christianity is completely foreign to them. They still know that murder is wrong. They still know that stealing is wrong. The Lord is saying there's something that has happened in their heart to still show them right or wrong. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just read it to you real quick. He backs this up in his passage in the book of John when he talks about the role of the Holy Spirit. This is out of John 16. I'll just read it to you real quick. It says that when he has come, meaning the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit's job is to speak to all people, believers and non-believers, pointing them in the right direction. So even a non-believer that may not have heard the truth still has the truth of God being spoken to their heart through the Holy Spirit. And you see it in your own life. You see it with your kids. I've joked with you before. My two-year-old loves to steal my phone and go behind the couch and hide. Now, he knows it's wrong. I can remember when our boys were about 10 months old, and they reached that point of crawling and pulling themselves up. They would crawl over to the TV, pull themselves up, and just look at us with sin dripping out of their eyes. (laughs) They knew what they were doing was wrong. They knew it, and they just enjoyed it. And I don't know what the attraction is, but when you've got a baby that crawls, remotes are just attractive. We have lost so many remotes because they've been thrown away by our kids. It just gets old after a while. There's that sin of taking and hiding. It's there. It's just there. And this is what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to say that you, by nature, verse 14, do the things in the law. You, by nature, know what's right. So if you by nature know what's right, that also means by nature you know what's wrong. So if you know what's wrong, verse 16, the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, Paul is saying everybody now understands you're going to stand before the Lord. And guess what? The secrets of men will be brought to light. I hate those verses. Because every time I read that verse, I think of the verse that says those deeds in darkness will be brought to light. I hate that one too. Or that one that says your sin will find you out. I hate that one too. Really what Paul is trying to say is if you know these things, make it right with the Lord. Make it right with the Lord now. Because it's going to come to light. And it comes to light because God is honorable and just. He wants to watch out for us. That's why he flips the light on in our life. That's why he reveals those sins. It's because he cares enough about us. The way I ever set up at home is, you know, we have our room where Dawn and I sleep. The baby, he's not a baby, he's going to be three, but he's the youngest, so he's still called baby. He's going to be baby when he's 40. He's, uh, he sleeps in his own room. Uh, kid four and kid three sleep in their room, and kid one and kid two sleep in their room. So what happens is every now and then all the boys want to sleep together in the same room. Now, that it does not include the baby, but the older four. And every time they want to do it, I always think, don't do this. I mean, it's like a trip to the ER if they all sleep together. I mean, I know it's going to happen. 
So the other night they said, can we all sleep together in the same room? So we all went then in the big, we call it the big buddies room. And the boys have two twins beds. So what we do is we push the beds together. And so now there is a uh, five-year-old, a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a nine-year-old all sleeping in there. And it's just, it's crazy. So the way I deal with it is I shut both doors. That way I don't have to hear anything. But sometimes it gets so crazy you have to go in. So I walked in the other day and it was crazy. It's so loud. They don't even hear me coming in. They've shut off all the lights. Here it is, 11.15 at night, and it's just crazy. I flipped the light on. And if you could have seen what I saw, <laughs> it was just sin. It was just sin. And it was just, you sit there for a second, it's like, what are you guys doing? Well, I mean, what are you doing? I don't even know what to say. I flipped the light off and left. You know, it's kind of like, I don't even know what to say. The point is, the sin is revealed when the light comes on. I, could, I should have just left the light off. Have you ever thought about that spiritually? The Lord lays something on your heart, and there's somebody you really feel you should talk to, but you know if you go talk to them, it's going to open up this can. I don't want to do it. I don't want to deal with it. Just leave the light off and just pretend that we just don't even know what's going on. You can't do that. Because why? Verse 16. And that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. I'm not saying you're looking for sin in people's lives, but if the Lord has led you and the Lord has revealed to you that there's an issue, the Bible says that as a loving brother or a loving sister, we're required to get involved in their lives and say, I want to help you with this. They may not want it. They may reject it. They may reject it forcibly. But we still have an obligation to say, I care enough about you to flip the light on to say, I want what's right for you. Because if I don't do that, Verse 16, it's going to come out. Let's have it come out in grace and mercy rather than in judgment. Now, what happens at this point is it changes again. Because the Jewish thought was, in verses 17 through 24, this is kind of the point of 17 through 24, is the Jews thought, hey, this is great, this whole idea of sin. We get it, but we're okay. We're okay, why? Because look at verse 17. You indeed are called a Jew and rest on the law. You make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And you are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. The Jews said, hey, we're kind of exempt from this. Well, because we're Jewish. We have the law, so since we have the law, we're really okay. Uh, we have the circumcision, which is the sign of being Jewish, so we're okay. We're God's chosen people, we're okay. We have jumped through these religious hoops, so therefore we're kind of exempt from all this sin stuff that you're talking about. Now, we don't think that way today. We've just interchanged it with other things. We make ourselves exempt by doing certain things. We're exempt because we got baptized. We're in we're exempt because we went through uh, some classes at the church we're in. We're exempt because I serve in the back. I mean, obviously, if I wasn't saved, I wouldn't be serving in the back. We're exempt because I read the Bible every day. We're exempt because I pray. And what happens is we exempt ourselves because of what we have done. And we're getting it backwards. We do those things because what Christ has already done in our lives. And if you are focusing your salvation on something that has happened in the past other than you committing your life to Christ, you have fooled yourself. And we live in a world today where there's a lot of religion mixed in with a relationship with Christ. And so through religion, we think we're okay. A lot of those things I mentioned have merit. They have good. Baptism is great. We're actually planning 
a winter baptism. So if you wanted to get baptized and this is something that interests you, talk to me, talk to Rich, we'll get you on the list. We normally do one over at the filling home in the winter and then we do one in the summer. So if you want to get involved with that, let's do that. But you'll never hear me tell you that baptism is salvation. Baptism is what you do because you're saved. Reading the Bible is wonderful. I will encourage you to read the Bible every day. But if you think because you read the Bible daily you're saved, you're wrong. And this is what Paul is trying to tell the Jews here. All those things you did are good. But that does not equate heaven. Because he wants your heart. Look at verse 21. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law by you dishonoring God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you it is written. He's basically saying you got the knowledge, you got the heredity, you got the background, but you don't have the walk. You're not living it. Boy, that's a straightforward message. And how many times do we do that spiritually? I'm okay because of this, 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 or this. You're okay because you realize you were a sinner and you couldn't take care of your sin, and so therefore Jesus had to do that for you. That's the only way you're okay. Anything else is a problem. So Paul goes one step further here because the Jews were focusing on the circumcision. That circumcision was that sign that these people were in. They were Jewish. And he basically says circumcision is good, but you can't trust your salvation on it. Verse 25, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has been uncircumcised. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? So he's basically saying just because you're circumcised doesn't give you a green light to do what you want. Now, we wouldn't use that word circumcision today, but we would use other things. And maybe we wouldn't say it this straightforwardly. I'm okay, why? Well, because I got baptized years ago. That doesn't give you a green light to act the way you want. I went and read three chapters today, so that means I got three free sins. No, that's not the way the system works. It doesn't work that way. And this is what the Jews were thinking. We're in. We're okay. We don't have to worry about this. And Paul says, you're trusting in something other than your heart being right with the Lord. And that doesn't work. And whatever religious requirements you put in that area doesn't count. They may have merit. They may have good. They may have helped you go deeper in your walk with the Lord. Amen. But they are not your salvation. And if you think they are, you're fooling yourself. Verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor circumcision that which is outward. Paul says, it's not the outward stuff you do, guys. Here's our verse, verse 29. He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men but from God. Your salvation is not based on what you've done outwardly. Your salvation is based on where you are right now at this moment in your heart in Christ. That's where your walk's at. Outwardly, we can all look good. We can come to church, put a smile on our face, act good. We can go to work and act good. We can put on that. That's what the word hypocrite means. Hypocrite literally means two-faced. And it came from a Greek word. That's what actors used to use. They would have two faces. So they were two-faced. What happens, us spiritually, we do that a lot, don't we? And what Paul really wants to do in Romans 2 is say, let's just get right to the heart. How's your heart with the Lord? Not how you look, but how's your heart with the Lord? To finish this up, can you go with me real quick to Ezekiel? Ezekiel. 
I got three passages here in Ezekiel that kind of build this point up, and I want to get to those. This is now building up to this point of communion, because I believe with communion it's important for us to have our heart right to say, Lord, what is it you want us to learn from this? Ezekiel, please. Ezekiel chapter 11. And these, all these verses carry the same theme, but they build on it a little bit more. First one is Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 19. Verse 19. Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart of, out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. God says that I want to do a heart transplant for you. I want to get this stony heart, uncaring, unloving heart, and put a new heart in there and a new spirit within you for me. That's what he wants to do. Okay, now let's continue this idea. Can okay, I go to Ezekiel 18? Ezekiel 18, please. How do we do this? How does this new heart come? Well, let's find out. Ezekiel 18. And let's start in verse 30 of Ezekiel 18. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Now, there's a lot of stuff in these passages. First on, verse 30, you see this idea of God saying, I will judge you according to your ways. The truth is standard. He's made it abundantly clear. So therefore, if your life does not line up with the standard of his truth, verse 30, repent. Repent means to do a 180. You change directions. So change, turn from your sin. Verse 31, get yourselves the new heart and the new spirit. Because why? Verse 32, I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. I hate it when someone comes up to me and represents my God as having some type of sick joy of seeing someone go to hell. That is unbiblical. It says right here, I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. That's why he's made it abundantly clear of repenting, changing, follow my standard of truth. Because that is the truth that supersedes all supposed truth. One more point on this, then we'll close. Ezekiel 36, please, now. Ezekiel 36. What happens now, after we get this new heart, after we repent... After we change in Christ, Ezekiel 36, verse 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. That's what we want, guys, is verse 27. The Holy Spirit within us, walking in the statutes and judgments of God and doing them. Not to save us, but because we are saved. See, this is where we need to stop. And we need to say, okay, I hear it all now. Standard of truth, i got to choose, I can't trust in anything else. Okay. Now the question is, do you want it? I mean, do you want that? If that's what you want, that's what we're going to offer you. What it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, to understand that the perfection of, that God asks for, we can't obtain, 
And it has to come through Christ. Well, that's why he died on the cross, is to say, I will cover your debt. I will cover your sin that you can't cover, and I will give you life. Now, he says, do you want that? Or do you want to take the gamble and stand before God on your own and say, I'll let my own works get me in? It's not going to work. Now, what about for those that are saved here this morning? How's your heart? Is your heart where it's supposed to be? Is your heart right where the Lord wants you? We mentioned this verse earlier, and I'll read it to you again. It's out of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxiety. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Are there things that need to change? Just be honest. See, I can't see your heart. I can see your actions. I can see your fruit. But I, I can't get in there and see your heart. I can't. Just like you can't see mine. Sometimes I can't even see my heart. Sometimes I fool myself into thinking I'm fine. I've convinced myself that my actions are okay. I've convinced myself that whatever I feel is acceptable. We talked a couple weeks ago about that phrase, justifiable sin. I'm allowed to do this because of this. No, the Lord looks at my heart and says, not allowed. So the Lord, search me, try me. Is there iniquity in me? That's why we want to finish with communion. We believe it's important to have a time of confession for you to say, Lord, I need help in this. Now, Richard's going to come up and, and lead you in communion. And as he's leading you in communion, I'm going to be in the back, and there's going to be a time of quiet, giving it over to the Lord. And I encourage you to do that. But at the same time, if you want prayer, if you need to come, come back there and pray with me. I'd love to get a chance to pray with you. So that means I may not be back there to shake your hands when you leave. So.